Second Star to the Left, a podcast of everything fantastic, strange, and science fictional. I'm your host, Matt, with my co-hosts. I'm Bert. I'm Paul Walker. And that was last week. <laughs> just kidding. Okay, sorry. I'm just Paul Walker was on the shit. show last week, not this week. Ghost. Uh, his ghosts. Yeah. And welcome, everyone, <laughs> to Better Red Month. Better this Dead Fest. Where... Oh, Better Dead Fest, yes. Um, where we truly believe it is better to be red than dead, but in this case, we're going to dig into some horror and enjoy those movie stylings. This month, we'll, we'll ask, why not both? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> in lieu of our normal question of the week, uh, we'll let you listeners send us some uh, more, and we'll have a better selection for next week. Katie um, brought up a question that she got asked from a friend, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you want to talk about that. Uh, Yeah, since Lovecraft, and since it's getting close to Halloween, uh, Lovecraft inspired quite a lot of, I mean, not only his own own horror stories, but also, like, inspired all sorts of stuff just from this character creation. Um, Someone had asked, what is your best, or what's your favorite piece of Lovecraft-inspired media? For some reason, my brain immediately goes to video games, just because I feel like that's one of the things most inspired by Lovecraft. So, like, um, I mean, Bloodborne, for sure, is, like, super inspired by Lovecraft, and Bloodborne's freaking awesome. Um, There's actually a game I played called uh, Sunless Sea, which is... Yeah, it's, like, an adventure game. Like, I I love, like, exploration games, and, and... But it's a lot of, like... You're in a boat in this weird underwater, not underwater, it's an underground ocean environment and you like have to use, basically like if you don't have your light on when you're exploring things, then like the terror rate goes up and then when you get to an island, it has some kind of crazy, like the people here all worship this crazy blood god and they, you know, like all these stories for different islands. So it's very, it's very interesting, uh, very interesting take on that whole thing. I think my favorite is actually like Mike Mignola and Hellboy and BPRD. Um, just the way that he draws things and his like very specific style, but incorporates like a lot of like eldritch horror into his art and stories. So I know that cause we've already like done a Hellboy episode. So I, f- I feel like that's kind of cheesy to say, but it's still, I think probably some of my favorite depictions of like a Lovecraft inspired um, characters yeah i would have to say the same like the thing about hellboy i think in particular is that like so lovecraft is so grandiose in his scale that the the textural overlapping of like smaller folklore um or you know world myth works really well in hellboy and sort of this like all-encompassing mythos that i really enjoy to me it's hellboy like i just love i think mcnoel's art is really good and it has like that sort of expressionism works so well for the lovecraft like feeling of like elemental horror that is um unspeakable undefinable um terrifying and incomprehensible in its vastness and evil and power and like that like german expression like all like this like dark like just blotches of paint almost just that works so well for it so yeah all about that hellboy life 
when I moved, I kept all my Hellboy comics because I liked them so much. Whereas, like, I tried to purge a ton of books. So, that's how much I love Mike Mignola. So and, what? like, when he like, did the P- uh, BPRD stuff, where, like, he was just, like, writing the stories and not doing the art, I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess. What Matt is saying is that Hellboy is better than literary fiction. Yes. Well, in this that's case, true. it's like, uh, as, as we were mentioning before we got into into the meat of this, is that, like... Lovecraft is such a racist, misogynistic, xenophobic piece of shit, and yet created something that was so culturally significant uh, for art and storytelling and horror and you know, movies, all sorts of media. Um, so it's it's a funny thing to be like, what a gigantic piece of shit who's inspired so much of my life in in a big <laughs> way. So yeah, um, I just feel like at the core of of like. At the core of being racist is like this this kind of fear of the unknown or, or xenophobia that um, I mean, once it's taken, once it's divorced from the context of like I'm scared of black people, it's actually kind of um, something that everybody can relate to on some level. Mm. But you know, the minute you're like, oh, oh, he's writing about he's writing about how crazy racist he is, it's like, mm. <laughs> mm. not know. not a good look. <laughs> no. If you have uh, questions for us, you can email us at secondstarcast at gmail.com and we'll answer those on the air. This week, to kick off Better Dead Fest, we're talking John Carpenter's The Thing. show itself it wants to hide inside an imitation it'll fight if it has to but it's vulnerable out in the open if it takes us over then it has no more enemies nobody left to kill it this film i'll be honest i've never seen the thing before this was my first <gasps> Ooh, okay yeah so i'd never seen the thing and i'm not into body horror at all so this is a slightly tense watch for me but i thought it was really good i i mean duh Man, I'm into body horror, and this is a very tense watch. Like, that's just the way it goes. <laughs> I think what's interesting to me is I was, you know, reviewing Wikipedia and other sort of things for before we recorded, and what surprises the hell out of me is that this movie was pretty much critically panned when it came out. Like, it was not regarded as highly as it is now, and that to me is astonishing. Like, I get that's not a... It, it doesn't grab you in the same way that maybe a more conventional movie does, but it's it's a good movie. It's still a great yeah. piece of horror. I've, I've, I've seen it described as a B-movie, and that always takes me aback. I'm like, nothing about this movie feels like a B-movie, though. Yeah, there's really not much. Like, the act, the acting's all good. 
Um, the, spe- the special effects are consistent with the time. Like, if you've seen, like, other slasher... Oh, they're better than the time. time. Yeah. 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 The same same uh, practical effects artist who did Total Recall. Yeah, they're great. It, it, that was actually my main... I, I don't know about B-movie. Like, like I mean, I, I feel like maybe that's just a retroactive perspective on Carpenter's films. Like, you could watch They Live and be like, yeah, this is a B-movie, you know. But this right. is... I, I just don't get B-movie for any of this at all. Um, I, I did have the kind of the same takeaway where I, I looked it up and, oh, when the thing came out, everybody hated it and gave Jari Carpenter shit. And I'm like why like what in the world like i had always i had always had the concept that this is like one of the best horror movies ever i think that alien and the thing are top tier uh examples of like the best way to combine horror and science fiction um together and that they also sort of play off of each other um kind of thematically in uh almost like a mirrored way so i mean yeah i'm definitely like super biased in that regard and i'm like you matt i don't usually like body horror but there's something about like the bleak existentialist like perspective of this movie that kind of um it it makes it feel less like you know creepy torture porn sort of stuff and more uh because of like again like having that like that slant of everything's dark and isolated and you know uh existential and you know we can't trust anybody so that's that's why i i think something about that kind of takes that particular edge off of a lot of the body horror, which granted the body horror is phenomenal. Like I, I found very, a lot of it very upsetting, but like in the way that the movie wants you to find it upsetting. Right. Yeah. I, I feel really similar. Like they watched alien and they really took the, the kind of concept of, okay, if somebody has the alien inside them and you didn't even know that it really takes that concept and runs with it, which I, I think maybe this movie wasn't, appreciated at the time just because it was just the complete wrong time for it to happen like like maybe Mm. coming after alien is kind of like oh they ripped off alien and then um i mean they didn't but i could see how like if you had seen alien which is like you know one of the best movies ever made like three years prior you might be like yeah they're really ripping that off I feel like it might have just been a shock to the system. People were probably worn out by slashers and and overly violent things at this point, and they may have seen the violence in this movie and been like, yeah, it's unnecessary and ridiculous and over the top. And and it's also, yeah, a very bleak movie in places. It's very existential slash nihilist. And and, uh, from what I read on Wikipedia, too, uh, I think a lot of people just did not want that at the time. They don't want to watch a movie like that, yeah. Wasn't there another version that came out with a different ending that just maybe wasn't released or something? Yeah. I'm not sure they, if that's if I'm getting that confused with something else. No, you're right. Carpenter said they they did some weird redoing of it and it sucked and it was never really released and okay. I don't know what the deal is with that, but I mean, apparently it this kind of took out Carpenter's career for a while. Like it was not good for him. And he's he's said as much multiple times that they they really did him dirty on this movie. <laughs> like I mean, yeah, I, I it must have been the the timing and like the cultural setting or something because like I don't think it's a cult following. People are like, oh, this movie has a cult following. I'm like, I don't see that. I see it as like a legitimately good horror and also legitimately good science fiction. Um, and it's Kurt Russell's amazing hair and a little bit of <laughs> eyeliner, like. You know, I just don't see... And also, like... Katie likes the Arctic Cowboys. 
Shut up, yeah. <laughs> um, don't judge me. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> fuck, what's good? Oh. I got distracted by Arctic you start, Cowboys. You started thinking about aesthetic. Arctic Cowboys and then it just... And now I have to have a different sexual awakening. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> God damn it. I thought I could just go one show without being horny. All brought about by John Carpenter's The Thing. <laughs> <laughs> like every sexual awakening. Of course. It's very like elementary film school criticism, but like obviously a key theme of this movie is trust. And some of the analysis I read was like, this is the Reagan years. We're not looking to have something that is all about sort of interrogating our relationships to each other and how much we trust people and, and power and all that kind of stuff. That might have been a reason why it was not as critically well received, mm-hmm. which kind of makes me terrified to think of, like, what if the Transformers movies had come out during Donald Trump's administration? Oh. Like, those movies would be, like, hailed as, like, bombastic, brilliance pieces of cinema. I don't know. I definitely feel like in the Things case, it, it was ahead of its time in that regard, because there's a case to be made for, like, Cold War analogism and stuff like that. Like, the, it's definitely like a you can't trust anybody, and there's there's a whole lot of mutually assured destruction stuff near the end. In 1982, it might have been a little too early for that. Like, if this came out in 1988, I would be like, whoa, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we get this, and 82, maybe they were like... Uh, you know, Ray- Reagan was in by that point, I believe. Yep. Yeah, so maybe everybody was just living it up at that point, you know, thinking it was going to be good times. I don't know. I guess I could just ask my dad about that. Like, my dad used to really love, like, sci-fi and stuff. Uh, I bet he remembers. Mostly because, like, that's my first, like, some of my first experience with, like, actual horror is, like, sneaking downstairs at, like, uh, when I was, like, 10. My dad was, my dad, like, watched stuff late at night because he didn't want the kids to see it. Because it would be like stuff like that, and I just remember seeing that fucking arachnid severed head, and I'm like, cool, severed this head. is. I'm like, this is just gonna really dictate the rest of my life now, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> first sexual awakening. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, no, like my no, first no. goth awakening. Um, Hell yeah, it's it's a really surprising, but like, I don't know. I had always just considered it a classic because everybody around me said it was so fucking good. Like, it is more of a word of mouth thing, I guess. It, it's kind of rebuilt its legacy, but like. Yeah, the last time I watched it, I watched it with somebody, and for a horror movie, like, Marathon, every movie before that, like, there was all kinds of different, there was violent stuff, there was, you know, slow pop, pop oiler stuff, and it was all fine, you know, we'd watch the movie, it'd be okay, and we got to that one, and the minute that dog's head just comes apart, they're like, I can't, I can't watch this, I cannot watch it, you know? That, I think that that was the, uh, oh, man, I think that's the part that does, like, grab you. And, like, not just because of, like, the, the sudden, like, holy shit. But also it's, like, the holy shit with, like, oh, no, dogs, though. And then, yeah. like, rewatching it, like, once you know what happens, like, going back and rewatching it, like, did you feel the buildup of, like, the malice in that fucking husky yeah. watching everything? Like, those shots oh, were the, great. The dog training, I was so impressed at how they edited. And I think they did a little bit of, like, camera work in terms yeah. of, like, slowing down the motion of the dog. But not super perceptible. No, the dog, quote unquote, acting was insane. I was gonna say I've never seen like an adorable dog that I want to pet just exude so much malice. <laughs> yeah the so. the scene where the dog like slowly walks into the kennel full of the other dogs and just like sits in the middle and like there's just it. I, I have no idea how they got that to work. Like I, I was watching it. Like this is like. 
it's it's like something out of Alien, but entirely with dogs. Like, yeah. <laughs> they didn't get this to work. Like, the dogs would have just ran up to the dog and be like, hey, I love you, but it doesn't happen. <laughs> They'll just sit in the corner, and the dog comes in the middle and sits down and, like, looks, like, stoic. It, it's, like, weird. <laughs> and that's that's okay. That's not to be nitpicky yeah. too much, but that's how the character of Carrie sucks as a dog handler. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. He should have known, like... That's not how dogs react to each other in an unstructured way like that. Maybe he knew, he just didn't know what to do. He, he definitely had, I don't know, the character definitely like well, looks at it like, what the fuck, but then just walks off. You know? And that's me, to go back to the trust piece, the part that I do find most interesting is how, so I sort of conceptualized of the thing as almost a parasite. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Not only in terms of like a parasitical relationship to uh, other cells, other living beings, but it takes the trust that we have between each other. Like the, the, the there's a symbiotic relationship between man and dog. So we've established a we've a, uh, established a symbiotic relationship with dogs, uh, co-evolved with them. And this parasite is taking that relationship and preying on it to advance its own like biological imperative. The parasitic nature of the thing itself takes that relationship and uses it just as a parasite would like subverting the natural response mechanisms of our bodies of ourselves to each other and perverts and breaks that trust that to me is just like so it's i think it's one of the things actually kind of work for me in the body horror section because it wasn't like someone was under something else's control per se i don't, I don't know if that makes sense but like the the thing itself the thing takes those relationships and perverts them like the the scene with the blood testing is is just they they do a really good job i feel like when do you know when the invasion of the body snatchers remake happened uh the remake or the one with donald uh, sutherland i feel like it's late 70s 1978 yeah okay so i feel like they saw that and they got like like the scene with uh near the end (laughs) we'll watch it at some point i'm positive but where where donald sutherland like goes like oh oh my god it's not donald sutherland you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i feel like they saw that and they were like "Ooh, we could we could totally use this a lot like (laughs) we could make a whole movie like with people like um who's the guy with the red hair in this movie the the first guy that gets taken over um bennings bennings so yeah when bennings goes out there and he's got like the arm and and he's just like stumbling around and they all circle around him and he just goes like he just makes that noise fucking yeah. terrifying noise and stares into the camera it's like it's it's like the exact same thing and then um the blood testing scene is just it's so terrifying the way like it's not like a jump scare a typical jump scare moment like like i, I watched it part two recently and there's so many moments where like i can see it coming because they they the language of cinema has created where we we know jump scares are going to happen because the, everything gets all quiet and the camera focuses on something mm-hmm. and they do some sequence and this was more like i mean it's just within the realm of the movie it's like we're going to test each of these blood things they keep putting them in nothing happens and you don't really know what's going to happen but for some reason you have this assumption that like if something does happen there's going to be like a slow realization that something's wrong probably cuz i guess the way the psychologic the the psychology of the script plays out but it's just like fucking instant. He puts the thing in, it just blows up, and then the guy immediately starts fucking shaking. You're like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. the, the movie just goes from like zero to a hundred, like multiple times. Yeah, it, it's the same with the dog scene. I feel like you're watching a dog, and then, oh, his head. 
opened up. Oh my god, what am I watching? <laughs> Poor dog. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I was like, I got distracted because I, I went down the rabbit hole of like, I, there's like so many like alternate movie posters that have been done by artists for this. And like one of my favorites is uh, this really neat reimagining like artistic depiction of the dogs. Um, anyway, I mean, like it's such a classic movie. Like that's why I just don't see it as a theme movie. Like it just seems like it's a, a classic recognizable thing. Like they even did the parody of it with the fucking penguins or whatever. Right. Yeah, Pengu. Pengu, yeah. Um, well, and speaking of the the art, the Arctic kind of thing, I really love how imaginative Carpenter was in terms of the body horror ish. Like, there's there's body horror in terms of the thing itself, but also the horror when they go visit the other outpost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the blood is like frozen. Yeah, like like it, it portrays a sort of horror. You don't see those things in horror scenes per se. You see the person already dead. The blood's there, but this like freezes that moment of death and dying right there in front of you and that was just a such a fascinating like texture to add to the the horror of the movie yeah again like very much mirroring alien with the with the the jockey the it's mm-hmm. it's like it's the the makeup special effects person was like i got i got i'm gonna make this fucking thing look amazing <laughs> like it's just a, it's just a dead person then they have the corpse too that they take mm-hmm. back but it's just like those things don't even move they don't jump out at you you just like are looking at like what the fuck am I watching? Like like uh, they know how to grab your attention without making without without throwing things at you, basically. And but when they want to throw things at you, they do that too. You know? <laughs> Sorry, I have a note here, but I I don't have more. But I just you mentioned the uh, when they the the similarities to the jockey. I apparently wrote down smoky barbecue flavored corpse for <laughs> the first discovery in the Norwegian camp. <laughs> So they brought feels... it back and it was still steaming, like and like it looked like it was covered in barbecue sauce. And I don't know, clearly I'm. Really... Uh, I will I'm say, sorry. The... <laughs> I it is like it was a Texas mesquite horror movie. <laughs> I will say there is there is a decent amount of ketchup blood in this movie. Like it's definitely like oh that's not blood, but um, which is I was thinking of really like a, a really thick thick sauce, nice, yeah. like, a nice tomato like barbecue yeah. sauce, maybe some marinara's in there. It's an Italian. <laughs> It's it's the thing, the the thing, the um, thing, the thing. Uh, uh, to our listeners, let's imagine like as as Kurt Russell is running through like the underground of the base. Mamma mia! And then he finds like the Blair thing, and he's just like, "Mamma mia!" Yeah, I was thinking a Mario theme more. <laughs> Speaking of Blair, as a millennial, my mental image of Wilford Brimley has always had him oh, have a mustache yeah. and very like warm and fuzzy and just like benevolent, yeah. just a cuddly old man. And in this, I'm like, that's Wilford fucking Brimley. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do like that he's okay. So I, I he has exudes menace. Yeah, yeah, he's creepy. Even before he's converted, I, I don't have a, I don't have like a diagram mapped out i'm sure there's ones online for who gets taken when but like i'm i'm pretty sure blair by the time they get him in that in that building he's he's possessed from then on right so so like when he's trying to convince kurt russell he's he's definitely he's definitely already gone which it really adds to like on a rewatch you're like oh it's it's so interesting if you want to get really finicky 
supposedly the lighting director would have lights in certain scenes to signal yeah whether or not someone was um assimilated as they called it or not mm. so you could rewatch those scenes with that in mind like that's the thing like you always look at people look at the ending of the film and see that there's definitely that lighting effect in kurt russell's eyes but not in keith david's eyes. i don't like that it feels like a cheat code like i like to like i, I agree with that <laughs> and also i think like i think the, the end of the film is far more interesting if we don't know or if it's both, like, who knows? Yeah, I had read John Carpenter had said that they did some test screening and the audience was were like, well, who was the thing at the end? And he's like, you don't mm. know. It's not, it's left up to you. And they're like, we hate that. And I'm we like, no, being I'm like, no, man, I, I love that. Like, that's my favorite is like, you, you watch the entire movie and you have to figure out for yourself. Like, it's, it's not as fun if they just tell you outright. That's why, like, Blade Runner was more fun before, <laughs> you know, we established who's who. Uh, yeah, like, I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't really pay attention to the lighting effect. I'd read about it, and I'm like, mm, I, I like just wondering who, who's taken over and who's not. Uh, like, when Palmer gets, when Palmer, when the, the blood testing scene and, and Palmer ends up being taken, like, man, the, I feel like there's no hint up to that point. Other than he hates Childs, and that's, or he hates uh, Windows, and that's about it. So, like... It's just kind of like, you get there, you're like, oh shit, Palmer got taken? What? I don't know. It's like the last person in the test you expected. The lighting is really freaking excellent in this movie. I don't I don't know where they shot it, but it, it just definitely has, like, anytime they're outside, it has this foggy hate. It's, it's not fog, it's just, it's cold, but it's, maybe it is fog, I don't know. But it's just it's haze and the lights just, there's a lot of flares in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it really, it really does a lot for the atmosphere. Um, anytime they're inside, there's a lot of smoke because there's just fucking fires everywhere. <laughs> I thought, so, I really like this movie, like, to watch, like, next to Alien, because where Alien was very much, like, uh, I want to say, not female-dominated, but very, like, like femme-centric, and, like, as far as, like, the themes and, you know, the gestation and pregnation and you know, Sigourney Weaver's character essentially being the hero. And then you take this, and there's not a single woman in it except for the computer. Yeah, I was going to ask how you felt about that, actually. So, I don't know if this makes this movie incredibly feminist or incredibly misogynistic, or, like, I have to imagine that it is definitely a conscious choice, like, to cast only men um, in this. Uh, So, I think, like... The only women would be, again, like, the voice on the computer and potentially the dogs, of which, like, you know, I thought was funny because it was, like, cheating bitch and then here literal bitches. Um, so, I like, I know that it, there's got to be something more there. Um, I'm not actually taken aback. I'm not like, oh, well, there should be more depictions of women. Because um, I don't actually know if that, like, how that would have affected the movie. So, uh, it's interesting in how uh, you can sort of see... Because it seems like it's very much, like, there's definitely, like, some gross, like, masculinity like toxic stuff that's displayed but then as soon as shit goes to hell like you know it's definitely not like a macho thing it's a survival thing the way that they approach stuff so i don't know like how that would have affected it uh i just think it's really interesting that i guess like uh once again one could argue that it's you know uh the environment or nature that could be potentially seen as like the you know mother earth or whatever to be seen as uh the villain in some capacity uh, the isolation in Antarctica, the snow, but I don't know, actually. Um, I have a lot of feelings on it, but none of them are negative feelings. I don't feel like the the landscape itself doesn't feel 
um, antithetical to them. It feels indifferent. Yeah. Like, it doesn't feel like an antagonist in of itself. If it is, it's because of the circumstances that they set up. Mm-hmm. They created the situation for that antagonism to be a right. thing. Right, they tear apart the, the helicopter and Land Rover and all that stuff, you know. Yeah, it's all about them. They all fuck it up themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like watching it again, I, I really felt like there there's definitely, to me, like a statement to be made about toxic masculinity and, and masculinity in general in what happens in this movie. Um, it, it's definitely like, so, so yeah, McCready does that, that cheating bitch scene early on. And it's definitely a, it's supposed to say something about his character, which is like, you know, he's just not interested in, in, I mean, you know, he's a renegade who doesn't play by the rules and they're going to pull his badge or whatever. But, but (laughs) you know, like later on in the movie, like he, he, McCready makes it so far because he steps into the role of the leader and takes charge of a, of a chaotic situation. And it definitely feels like a masculine statement. Like, like there definitely seems to be a lot of like vying for supremacy among the males in the entire movie. And I think they put the dogs in there specifically also like this is a pack mentality type thing these days that that kind of irritates me because, you know, when people say alpha male, that's all bullshit. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's still a decent analysis of like how in masculine toxic masculine situations like men will resort to that behavior you know and it and it eventually tears them apart like i mean he kills uh, who's the guy with the dogs again uh it is clark clark yeah so he kills clark who was not because clark tries to kill him like literally it's just two human beings killing each other or, or fighting trying to kill each other like there's no thing involved in either of those so it you know that's clearly a statement like and, you know, Childs was never possessed. He fights McCready, like, the entire time. He's extremely antagonistic. Because he, he wants to be in charge instead of McCready. Well, I think... But that's the thing, too, is, like, I think there's an intersection there between racism and masculinity. Yes. Because the the two black characters in this cast are mistreated and mistrust from, like, the like even before the thing is discovered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, in like, Childs' case, it's kind of weird because... The movie is kind of presenting him as hot-headed, like, irrational. He's he's doing a lot of things that, like, just feel dangerous. I, I don't feel like he's necessarily violent off the bat, but he definitely is, like, accusing people and making enemies very quickly, whereas McCready is more ready to be like, I don't trust anybody, but I have to work with these people to get this accomplished. You know what I mean? He's more level-headed about it. And that's probably like in in real life you know it's not like white people are more rational and black people are more you know that's not how it works uh so i don't know if that's the movie or it's trying to say something right i don't know how much race plays into it it's it's hard to tell it i mean deliberately see i i would say mccready to me from the moment he came on struck me as a hothead that does listen to anyone yes but the movie vilifies him as opposed to childs who is dangerous because it's it's, i don't feel like it's because of race as presented by the movie it's more just that mccready mccready again doesn't play by the rules but he has some kind of like internal logic to accomplish something whereas childs is more just like i don't like that person therefore they are the thing which is dangerous it's like the same thing palmer does with windows at the same time childs is the black character mccready's the white character so what does 
did we need to do it that way? Eh, I don't know about that. You know, I kind of wish it wasn't that way. Well, to me, that plays into the the texture and the social fabric, I guess, of the movie. That, like, here are these two black characters who um, are uncompromised, like, by the end of the film. But, like, everyone still doesn't trust them um, up until that moment of actual literal peace. Whereas, like, you know, no one suspects Palmer. No one, like, points out that he wasn't saying much of anything. No one is, like, like Windows, to me, it's like, it, again, comes across very much as this, like, Reagan-era mistrust of certain people. Palmer, like, compared to the rest of the cast, I would describe Palmer as, like, almost a hippie. Yeah. In terms of, like, his demeanor and I think that's why his, people uh, don't costume. suspect him. Is be- Why they don't suspect yes, him? Yes, because he's... Because... because I, f- I feel like Windows, Nulls, and Childs are very quickly like people that are targeted yes. and they recognize their own vulnerability within this cadre of right. like older white men. Right. Yeah. Well, again with black and white though, like I feel like Palmer I don't feel like Palmer isn't suspected because he's white. I feel like he isn't suspected because he is ignored largely to begin with. Like people are kind of irritated with Palmer and when he acts according to type they go, that's just Palmer. Like, it's just him. He's acting like he normally does, so he must not be an alien. It's And it's, meanwhile, like, uh, Clark. I'm going to get his name wrong so many times. I feel like, like everybody suspects him from very early on because he was close to the dogs and because he is kind of standoffish and quieter. It, so, like, I, I really like, uh, I'm a board game guy and I really like One Night Ultimate Werewolf a lot which is a game where literally you have 10 minutes to basically do what happens in the thing. Like, everybody has to figure out who the werewolf is and who, who's who. And the same thing happens in that game. Uh, and, and there's probably, like, subconsciously in any group, there's probably things about race and who you like and who you don't like. But if somebody doesn't talk the entire time, everybody's going to start to suspect them, no matter who it is. And if somebody, like, plays according to... or acts according to who they are, they, they seem comfortable in who they are and they must not be lying you know what i mean it's just a it's a sociological thing um which you know race is always going to tie into that no matter what and 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 at the end of the movie there definitely does seem to be a thing where like macready and childs come to some understanding almost you're just who you are and i'm who i am i don't know if that's a racial thing or not (laughs) it's hard to tell well that for me is definitely like elements of like masculinity because i would say these are the two strong male characters who are confident in themselves everyone else in the movie is either sort of like this um they derive their confidence from science or they derive their confidence or they don't have confidence whereas childs and mccready are very much like we're confident in our ability to make decisions and make determinations and judgments that's who we are yeah and we're ready to do that we're right to that work that all of you all weaker men as it were are not yes and most importantly... Like, if it wasn't McCready, it would have been Child. Yeah, the most important thing about this is that I don't think the movie... Like, the movie is so bleak at the end, and, like, like literally, I think 20 minutes before the end, everybody has accepted that they are going to die. Like, they are not going to live. There is no possibility. I, I think it's important that while the movie presents these things and, and, and analyzes masculinity this way, it is pretty clearly an indictment or like at least a criticism it is not like a check out how much guys rule and get things done like it does not no feel no I, I wouldn't call it that yeah. way i don't i don't think it's there to even say that it's i don't think it's even there to be an indictment of masculinity 
I just think it's interesting how masculinity is such a, like going back to Katie's point about that this is an all-male cast, how masculinity is such a texture of the film and of the story. Yeah, but I think, I think, I think if, if you make a movie where a bunch of dudes, like a big, a big group of dudes end up killing each other and, and not ever trusting each other and, and basically tearing each other apart over their own toxicity, that's, that's an indictment in and of itself, whether you want it to be or not. You know what I mean? I suppose. Yeah, it comes across that. I way. just want to frame it like I don't think the car, like John Carpenter, is back in like 1981 as he's making this film, being like, "I'm gonna really zing no, them." No, yeah, I'm gonna show them the failures. He wasn't reading bell also hooks the and stuff, you know. I know, but you know, he. I don't know. He he might have on some level. He might have. You know, you don't have to have. He doesn't have to be a third wave, you know, feminist to understand those things like he can he can relate to those on a relative level you know he can he can have that happen in his real life i feel like if there was a woman in the movie it would be it'd be alien or or it'd be closer to alien like it would be it should probably die early and then the movie would just carry on which would be like what was the point um you know so i i think it kind of helps the movie but at the same time you know it definitely doesn't have a lot to say about women what if okay? There's a there's an interesting thought experiment. What if what if instead of all men, it was all women? <laughs> well, we've done that essentially, and it was annihilation. Right, mm-hmm. and, and uh, annihilation. And we've, is... we, we've already established that people wouldn't see it, and then it would just go straight to Netflix. Well, to be fair, the thing, a lot of people didn't see the thing when it came out either. It's true. Maybe people uh, just want men and women to work together. That's all they want. <laughs> Or a really forced sort of sexual tension atmosphere, which is oh, super boring. Yeah. yeah, they want romance. <laughs> or banging, which, you know, can't fault that. But, I mean, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it was an interesting choice that they, they went with all men. And I really don't know what to make of it. Like, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I don't think it's a negative thing. Like, I'm not like, we needed to see more women get horribly bodily mutated, <laughs> you know. Um, it, but it was an interesting you know, story uh piece to think on so i appreciated that because like then i feel like that definitely kind of set it above like other a lot of other like horror like body horror and like sci-fi movies is because like you do kind of want to think more about the themes that aren't quite the low-hanging fruits and like why some of the decisions were made so i appreciate the thing for for doing that even if it's like i don't quite get why it was all men but i've I've definitely thought about it a lot so that's good i feel like if anybody was banging in the thing they would just get gruesomely murdered well yeah because if you fuck at all in a horror movie you're out man no you can't do that (laughs) it's like tammy the t-rex quintessential horror movie yep no boning no bone zone i mean i think it's yeah i think it's a case of where if there's an alien killing everybody in your crew you just should should not be focused on sex like just think about anything else man come on (laughs) But then, like, that's the time to think about sex. It's like, we're all dying. Now's the time to bang. You might have sex with a, with a crazy tentacle monster, though. I guess if there's a time to do that, that would be the time. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely not a whole genre of that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, future episode. We're gonna uh, watch. We're I, don't, I don't even know what we're gonna watch. <laughs> <laughs> Hard pass there. Gross. We're not gonna watch hentai. No. I can't even, I don't know any of those titles. 
So don't even bring this up again, <laughs> future listeners. You brought it yeah, up. Yeah, you're like, I don't know any of those titles, like, as if to say, like, say it with, like, a wink and a nod. Like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Listen, I don't know any I, of these. I write, I'm writing life. a visual novel, okay? <laughs> Everybody can put two and two together. I didn't, I do not engage in that sort of behavior. Thank you. The way that you just keep insisting that you don't is just like, uh-huh. You have to. If you write if you write a visual novel, you have to be on the defensive from the get-go. This is the way it goes. <laughs> it's fine. like if you were making like an erotic thriller, you know, you're directing an erotic thriller. You're like, it's not porn. I've seen porn. This is not what that is. Thank you. <laughs> now we can talk about Bert's sexuality and not just mine oh, for once. Oh, no. <laughs> I should have seen this coming on the Thing episode. <laughs> really that's it's your fault for lack of planning there i don't know um it, nobody's seen the original right no i haven't the original what the thing isn't that this no movie? this is a remake oh no i have not seen the original, original i think it's like the thing parentheses from outer space but not parentheses like it's it's i feel like it's still a cabin fever movie but there is there is like a big tall monster thing like it's from like 50s or something mm-hmm. and they were like john carpenter's like i want to remake that but it's just completely fucking different and then of course they remade this one and nobody saw it <laughs> because why oh. would you remake this one before i had seen this again i had i mean this was what i thought of as one of the definitive like good remakes like you take a movie that has some promise and but isn't it's pretty fundamentally flawed and then get you know like a classic out of the remake that's completely different yeah. Yeah. This is like the movie I thought of. When which, it's done right. Yeah, nowadays it doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> we don't take movies that had promise. We just take movies that were really fucking good and then drive them into the ground yeah. as hard as possible. Extract them for all of their dollar nutrients and then leave their corpse on the side of the road. It's capitalism. Yeah, yeah, baby. It's capitalism. <laughs> oh, um, I was trying to see... The thing I know it was based on. Okay. Oh, so it was it was based on a novella. Okay. Yeah. But it was Who Goes There. It's called Who Goes There. Yeah. Which sounded really interesting when I was reading. There was some interesting like differences between the novella and the the film. Like um oh like it's the the thing is like telepathic in that like it can oh, read okay. people's minds so they can't even like think about what they're gonna do which really makes it's probably a good thing to cut for the movie because yeah. it's probably impossible to like really film and get correct but yeah i kind of wanted to read it after this um just because i mean the movie is really good so if you recall that one scene where mccready is recording his last piece yeah he like rewinds and re-records why do you think he did that um i'm trying to remember what the specific line was it was something like i think it it spoke to his character because if i remember correctly it was something like he recorded something that was very like defeatist like we're all screwed and we're all going to die or something like that. And then he goes back and re-records and it's something like, you know, uh, it's something more like I have to do my job. Like <laughs> It's like, you know, if you find this, then this happened and you can do this. Like it's less nihilistic. Uh, actually, I feel like I feel like what he first recorded was like more emotionally driven. And then he's like, aha, I have to cut this because emotions will get in the way of me solving the problem masculinity you know what i mean Mm. like yeah it definitely feels like that but that's just what i remember i don't remember the exact line there might be more subtext to it if i remembered what he said so so the line is he says everyone's tired 
Um, nobody trusts anybody. Nobody trusts each other anymore. And then he erases that part and records over it. Yeah, and he just says, uh, you know, I'm going to do what I have to do or whatever. Um, yeah, I'm going to do my right. job. So, yeah, I, I took it as like he's really burnt out and he's kind of turning it into his journal. And then he's like, nope, I'm just going to say what's happening. Not going to let anybody get any insight into who I am because I'm a I'm a masculine dude and you can't penetrate my exterior. <laughs> mm. <clears throat> yeah, no, I... I that's me just so interesting of a choice to like because I feel like McReady is so interested in the truth of things, but he covers it up. Like he covers up that truth of their experience. That just to me is such an interesting contrast to what his character I feel is. That's been. really you mean like okay, you mean okay, that's I think that's actually a really good take, is is like McCready McCready survives and, and gets I mean, he doesn't survive at the very end, but you know, he he, he makes, he makes it to, it the, to the, the end of the movie because He's not interested in the logistics of who is who so much as how to get things done. He's he the truth is not as important to him as accomplishment, I guess, or, or, or doing what has what he has to. So, yeah, when he gets to the point of like nobody trusts anybody, we're all tired. It's like doesn't matter if nobody trusts anybody, like do what you have to do. We'll get where we need to go. So maybe the movie has some kind of statement of it doesn't really matter who is infected and who's not, which is a very weird thing to think about in a movie that seems all about that. Maybe it's just the classic X-Files trust no one thing. Yeah. I, I, I just thought it was an interesting characterization for this person that did not show even in, I guess like his last moments in theory, like he still has to hide vulnerability. So again, I, th- I think masculinity runs through this film a lot. I do think it's interesting that, like, and it, of course, the reflection of, like, the Reagan era queerness or, or gayness was not a theme that is overt. Like, we have a whole bunch of men together, like, the the potential sexuality between them is pushed out. Oh, yeah. Um, or not thematically present, I would say, which is just, you know, how heteronormative They don't even is. get close to so. kissing at the end, man. Like, I know. On. Total no. waste. Just lean in. Come on. Lean in. Kiss the Blair thing. <laughs> with that we'll bring our discussion to an end today uh where can we find y'all on social media i'm at refreshing time uh what am i doing nothing join follow (laughs) like and subscribe (laughs) uh and i'm at anime weed fart 69 and you can find me at a very big bear on twitter um you can follow the cast at second star cast uh, email us at secondstarcast at gmail.com and if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing on whatever podcast platform you use that really helps us reach new listeners and uh, expand our outreach so thank you very much for doing that it only takes a few minutes and we'd really appreciate it next week we'll be watching the 2000 Japanese horror film Uzumaki we'll see y'all next week bye <laughs> neener 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 scary music